The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that homosexual inclinations are objectively disordered. Should that language be changed? Next on Catholic Answers Focus. Hello and welcome again to Catholic Answers Focus. I am Cy Kellett, your host, and uh, this week we tackle a somewhat difficult subject and we will try to do so with uh, intellectual integrity. And it's also a very emotional subject, so I want to acknowledge that for many people this is an emotional subject. But uh, the, the mode we're going to take today is to try to intellectually work through this uh, to find a reasonable answer. Uh, the question of the day has to do with the uh, wording in the Catechism of the Catholic Church about uh, what it calls uh, homosexual tendencies. Uh, in uh, paragraph 2358 in the Catechism, it says the following, the number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for most of them a trial. Of course, the... the um, words that uh, produce such a, a great uh, outpouring of other words trying to qualify them, categorize them, in some cases challenge them, are objectively disordered. Is, uh, and so we, we, uh, the question on the table today here for us at Catholic Answers Focus is, are the, is that wording uh, acceptable or should it be changed? Here to help us address that is just the man you would want answering uh, such questions, Carlo Broussard. Carlo is an apologist here at Catholic Answers, the author of a couple of books, uh, the most recent of which is Meeting the Protestant Challenge, uh, Carlo. How to Answer 50 Biblical Objections to Catholic Beliefs. Uh, Carlo, thanks uh, very, very much uh, for being with us. You're welcome, Cy. It's always great to be with you, bro. Uh, and you'd agree with me there's a great deal of emotion around this. Indeed, there is. There is a great deal of emotion. Uh, however, what we want to do is think it through. Right? We want to think right. through this issue intellectually and calmly, and I think that you know God made us in a certain way. The wheel follows the mind, and so we can actually train our emotions based upon what we know to be real and what is true. So once the intellect is straight, once we get the mind straight, that can actually help our emotional response to these things. And so that's what we're seeking here. It's so interesting to hear you say Aquinas says that because that is cutting edge psychology right now. Everywhere in psychology, people are talking about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which yeah. is get the thinking right and the emotions uh, follow. So That's music to Thomas' ears, yeah. brother. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's, it's very, it's impossible really, uh, and in no way meaning to derogate anyone's name or reputation, but it's impossible to talk about these things in the Catholic Church anymore without talking about Father James Martin, and right. his book, Building Bridges, and the work that he does. Uh, so I want to give you the quote from uh, Building Bridges and then uh, one that you shared with me from an interview uh, in 2017 that he yeah. gave. But he said that he takes this idea of, of objectively, objectively disorder, and he says, the phrase relates to the orientation, not the person. Which is correct. Which is, he is quite correct Amen. about. But it is still needlessly hurtful. Saying that one of the deepest parts of a person, the part that gives and receives love, is quote disordered is in itself ne oh, no in, in itself is needlessly cruel and that comes from pages 46 and 47 of his book he later goes on uh, to uh, in the, an interview that he gave in 2017 to say that it should be uh, changed from uh, objectively disordered he to suggest that it could be changed okay, possibly thank you uh, that it could could be changed to differently ordered right yeah, and that was a 27 interview at religionnews.com with columnist Jonathan Merritt. So he suggests possibly in order to be 
more pastoral, that the language should be or possibly be differently ordered as opposed to objectively disordered. So that's the claim. Now, what's interesting, Sai, is that it's unclear whether or not Father Martin still holds uh, this view, right? So in 2018, in a 2018 article for America Magazine, he actually articulates the church's official teaching on the objective disorder of same-sex sexual activity and the di- the disorder of the desire for it, right? Okay. And he then says in that article, as a Catholic priest, quote, as a Catholic priest, I have never challenged those teachings, nor will I, nor will I, close quote. Yeah. So that's in 2018. So, you know, it's kind of unclear uh, as to what he believes and holds to personally. Uh, in fact, our colleague here, Todd Egler-Laurel, the, our chief editor and director of the press department recently put out a piece uh, this past Friday, I think it was, at catholic.com proposing four questions to Father Martin to answer in order to get clarity as to where he stands. Like, does he actually affirm the church's teaching to be an authentic description of reality, right? And Father Martin seems to be saying, yes, you know, I affirm the church's teaching. I've always taught the church's teaching. I think we can push back a little bit on his claim that he's never challenged this teaching because of his 27 interview and saying it should be changed possibly from objectively disordered to differently disordered. But regardless of Father Martin's position, right, we still are left with the question, are romantic desires for members of the same sex disordered or merely different? That's what we have to ask. And and as we address that, I I just want to add that uh, Archbishop Chaput of Philadelphia also weighed in on this uh, recently. A very polite uh, interchange between um, uh, the Archbishop and uh, Father Martin about all this, but uh, the Archbishop was quite firm in asserting that it's it's really not enough to say, I, as a Catholic priest, don't challenge this. Um, that we we need to be teaching this as an objectively good and helpful teaching of the church. We need to embrace it and and teach it with uh, because as, as liberation because it accurately describes reality right. and declares what is true. And so that gets to the fundamental question of ought we to live our lives in accordance with what is true, right? Yeah. And so Archbishop Chaput he. Uh, there's one of the points in which he addresses addresses this question specifically of whether we should change that language from objectively disordered to differently ordered. And of course, he answers in the negative and says no. And then he gives us a quote uh, from the U.S. Bishop's 2006 document, Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Inclination Guidelines for Pastoral Care, in order to support his conclusion. But I do think, Sai, that we can dive um, quite a bit deeper, a little deeper in here in our segment for Catholic Answers Focus to try and substantiate or defend Archbishop Chaput and what the church teaches is that these desires are objectively disordered and that we ought not to be referring to them as merely differently or differently ordered, right? Right. And so what what are the reasons for that? And so that's what I, I think we should get into here today, at least 
that's what I want to get into. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So the the challenge has been made um, by Father Martin and by others. Uh, yeah, sure. The, but but Father Martin being the most prominent spokesperson on this uh, uh, point, we take his uh, his words. Uh, the challenge has been made. Let's let's find some other words. This is needlessly hurtful. Um, uh, I would argue it's not okay. needlessly hurtful, but that assumes a host of principles and philosophical reasoning concerning the desires for a particular activity and the activity itself. So, how Can about, I make my objection? Yeah, w- would I, Because I would like to get your response to this because I, I, I know you want to dig deeply into this, but my objection uh, to, the, to this paragraph in the, in the catechism is that as a catechism, which is meant to be popularly read, it has clearly been misunderstood so much that it requires I would extend this paragraph to two or three paragraphs long and explain it because Mm. it's clearly not being received with clarity by people. Now, I may be wrong about that. It may be that people are receiving it with clarity. They just don't like it. Right. Which in that case, okay, you you can't satisfy that person. But uh, say you know it's a seventeen year old kid who is is really just wants to explore what the church teaches. This is clearly not doing it because th- enough people have been confused by this now that I think Father Martin is should be granted some okay yes. Now I wouldn't change the wording, but I would give it a, a whole a full context explication in which, and a context right. in which that wording could be right. enlightened and understood. Especially that makes clear that the, neither the Catholic Church nor Jesus rejects anyone. You are not rejected by the right. Church, uh, and and so that's all my only argument. Right, and is, this is and this is what Archbishop Chaput and even Father James Martin rightfully articulated. It's re, it's a reference to the orientation, and I would even push back on using that language. Okay, I I would say I would talk about these these desires that one comes to an awareness that they have this attraction, this desire right. to be romantically involved with a member of the same sex. And when you talk about orientation, well, then you have to start parsing out, well, is this something that belongs to the nature of us as human beings? Like, insofar as we are human beings, we have this fundamental natural drive and inclination, right? Right. Or orientation insofar as we're human. That's what the word orientation signifies and connotates. And so if you're going to say that, you know, you, you have a fundamental orientation and a drive for romantic involvement with a member of the same sex, well, then you're getting into some serious problems of saying you got two different natures here. Yes, right, you right. You're, and that's, you're, that's, yeah, a, you're, that's a whole that, – it's related, but that's one avenue that we could possibly go down in thinking through this stuff. So yeah. this is why, you know, when, when the catechism, it talks about homosexual tendencies. Right, right. I think if we could sort of reinterpret that, interpret that what that means is that – the, you know, an individual comes to discover these desires. Sure, not they didn't choose them. For a lot of people, they're not chosen. They just come to an awareness that they have this attraction yeah. and this this desire to be romantically involved with a member of the same sex, right? Yes. And so the question it question is: Is that a good, normal, natural desire? Yes. Or is that a wayward, disordered desire? Yes. Okay. So, and this is extremely important. We have to distinguish between different and disorder because right. if you say it's different, it's just a it's differently ordered. Yeah. Right. And we, when we say ordered, it's just pointing to right. If we say it's differently ordered, that suggests the desire is not disordered. 
Because, yes. for example, yeah, I we, agree. Don't, we don't say someone's preference of chocolate ice cream over vanilla ice cream is disordered. No. Right? Because flavors of ice cream, preference for flavors of ice cream is not the type of thing that's subject to some sort of order so that you can have disorder. You know, if it's not subject to a particular order, then there can be no disorder, right? Right, exactly. So to say it's different is to say the desire is not disorder. Now, to say the desire for romantic involvement with a member of the same sex, to say the desire for same-sex sexual activity is not disordered is to imply that further entail, that entails the further claim that there's no disorder in same-sex sexual activity itself. I see, because if, if there's no disorder in the act, then there's no disorder in the desire. Right. But if, if the, there if, is a disorder in the act, if it's wrong to do that, then the then desire dis- for it would be disordered. Disordered. I've got you. Yeah. So th- yeah. when we're thinking through the desire for the act, it actually presupposes a more fundamental question as to what is the nature, you know, what is the, the order of the same sex sexual act, right? Is that morally ordered or is that morally disordered? See, that's where the rub is. Yeah. And that's where the conversation has to be. So, how would I even answer a question like that? I mean, people would say, I'm Carlo, I mean, and people do say this to you all the time. I've, I've heard them. Well, like, who are you to say what's ordered and what's disordered? How would I decide right. whether, say, uh, homosexual sex is disordered and heterosexual sex is ordered? How, how do you even? Well, we have to. I think we can employ the the help of Saint Thomas Aquinas here, right? Okay. And assessing what determines an human action to be morally ordered or morally disordered. And basically, a morally disordered act is a human act. So it's an action that's proceeding from intellect and will. It's voluntary, right? But it, it's a human act that lacks the order to its due end. All right. Yes. So, in other words, it's a human act that intentionally misses the mark. It's analogous to an archer that intentionally misses the target he's supposed to hit right. with the arrow. So, uh, here's what Aquinas, here's how he defines it. He says, We call every act that is not properly related to its requisite or due end is a disordered act. And what's driving that claim there is that even human actions, have natural ends or goals. Some human actions have natural ends or goals that they naturally aim at. And and what's driving Aquinas' thought here in the tradition of the church is that a due end, the proper end or goal of a human action is its natural end or goal, what it naturally aims at, right? Right, right. So con- consider, for example, how the due end or the goal of an oak tree, right? Yes. Is to grow and to reproduce itself. Yes. And that entails sinking roots deep deep into the ground, taking in nutrients, performing photosynthesis, dropping acorns, right? Such things are due or proper to the oak tree in that the achievement of such things makes the oak tree flourish as the kind of thing it is. So if the oak tree were to fail in achieving these natural goals, right, given the kind of thing it is, we would say it's defective in being the kind of thing it is, namely an oak tree, right? So notice that the due end of a thing, or even in our case we're going to see a human action, is the natural end or goal of a thing and its activities. It's going to be that which is befitting of the perfection of the thing, making it a good instance 
of its kind. Okay. Okay. So the so the due end is going to be the natural end, that which is perfective of the thing in question. Okay. And perfective of its activities. Now, human actions, the same holds true for human actions. Some human actions have natural ends or goals that constitute the perfection of the act itself. So take, for example, the act of assertion or the act of communication, which has its natural goal, the natural aim to make an assertion is to express that which we believe to be true. Right. So when you express that which you believe to be true in communicative form, that act is perfected in as much as it's being the kind of act it's supposed to be. Yes. Because it's achieving its natural aim, its natural goal, right? Okay, right. Think about, right. The, here's a clear example, the act of eating. That has the natural aim or goal of nourishing the body, right? Yeah. So when you eat in such a way that your act of eating achieves its natural end or goal, well, that act of eating is a good act of eating. It succeeds right, in being doing... the kind of act that it's supposed to be. Yeah. Because the act of eating is naturally ordered to nourishment of the body. Yeah. So when you engage in the act of eating and it achieves its natural end, or at least it's ordered to that natural end, that's the kind of act it's supposed to be. Following me? I do. But okay. I actually think the speech one is has more moral content to it. For example, like if I say, I love you to my wife, I say that because I love her. But there's you, a man can say I love you to a woman for because I don't know he wants her to have sex with them or something like that. In which case, I can see that a speech, an utterance like that is that's against the the nature of speaking. Really, that goes against the nature, which is to tell the truth. And you is, see, is, this is now what you're doing is you're 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 um you're going to the next step that I was going to go to. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're 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 thinking along the right path here, brother. <laughs> Maybe because I read and, your article. And because, <laughs> and because what you're doing here is now you're introducing disorder into a human oh, act. Oh, okay, okay, okay gotcha. So notice that disorder, because now we have to ask, okay, now we know a human act, the due end of a human act is its natural end, that which is going to be perfective of the act itself, right? And constituting the action to be the kind of action it's supposed to be. All right, so disorder enters into when a, a human act, Disorder enters into a human act when we voluntarily engage in an act that has a natural aim, right? But we direct that act away from its natural end or goal. We direct it away from its due end or goal. Such an act is a defective human act because notice okay, it, it intends from the beginning the lack of order due to the action itself. It's a lack of order to the actions do end or go. And you're intending right. that lack of order. So you're engaging in this human act, but from the beginning intending to deviate the act away yeah. from its natural aim, right. from its due end. So notice you're intending the lack of order from the beginning. Here's an example of, take the act of eating, right? Yes. So the act of eating has the natural aim of nourishing the human body, right? So rationally, it would be reasonable that when you engage in the act of eating, you engage in it in such a way that the order remains, that it's naturally aiming for nourishment of the human body, right. and that it achieve its natural goal. Now, suppose we engage in the act of eating with the intention to vomit our food afterward in order to just get the pleasure, but to not get the thwart, calories, <laughs> right? Yeah. To thwart the achievement of the natural goal of nourishing the body. Right, right. That would be considered a disordered 
human action, a defective human action, because you intend from the very beginning the lack of the order that nature inscribes within the human act itself. Ah, right. You see? Yes. Now, here's the linchpin. Because notice we've been talking about disordered human action. You could even, here's another example. So let's say a doctor, you know, the practice of medicine is naturally ordered to or aims at healing. Right. If a doctor, and so whenever a doctor engages in his act of medicine, right, he ought to intend that order toward healing. If a doctor uses his medicine and his skill and his art to bring about illness and make people sick, that would be a disordered act, right? Right. Because you would be intending from the very beginning the lack of the order in practicing medicine. Because yes. you're directing it away from its natural goal of healing and towards some other goal that actually militates against yeah. its natural goal, right? right? Right. So these are examples of disordered human actions. Now, here's where the moral aspect comes in. The achievement of the natural ends of human action, Right are not only perfective of the act itself, but also of the person who performs the action. Because think about oh. this, Sai, the power to act, the power to direct our lives and to behave and to engage in human activity, right? That belongs to a person for the sake of fully actualizing himself and to flourish as a human being. The very purpose of our powers to act in the world is to direct our lives in such a way that we're going to achieve those things that yeah. are going to be perfective of our nature, right? right They're right. going to help us flourish. Those th- that's, that's what we call good, right? Right. So, so no, doing good then doesn't just do the good thing. It also makes me good. Amen. Is, okay, amen. that's what you're getting Because right. that which is good for – yeah. when. A good action is an action that's directed to that which is good for me and perfective of my nature. So think about the act of looking or the act of seeing, right? That has the end of sight. Right. Now that, whenever you see things, that's not just perfective of the power of seeing itself, right? It's flourishing as a power, right? It's functioning like it's supposed to. But it's also perfective of me, right? It's a good for me to actually see things. That's perfective of my human nature. There we go. I got it. Yes. The act of eating has the natural end aim or goal of nourishing the body. And whenever that act of eating is a good act of eating, it's going to be perfective of me because nourishment of the body is perfective of my nature. Right. Right. So notice how the achievement of the natural ends or the goals of a human act constitute what's good for me or what's a perfection of my nature. And that's the linchpin for understanding how a disordered human action constitutes a moral disorder. Because when a person voluntarily thwarts his or her act from achieving that natural end, the person is actually rejecting the associated good. Got it. It's a rejection of the order to what's good for the human person. And that is what we call an immoral act. That's a morally disordered act because it's a rejection of the do good for the person. The fundamental precept of all morality is do good and avoid evil. So if you willingly do that which is a reject, if you willingly engage in a behavior which entails the rejection of your order to what's good for you, that's an immoral act. 
So now that we have a picture and understanding of what morally disordered acts are, these actions that you voluntarily engage in and direct these human acts away from their due or proper end or goal, now we're able to see and analyze the moral disorder of same-sex sexual activity. Here's how. One of the natural ends or goals of our sexual powers is procreation. Yes. Right? That's an end, that's a natural aim of the sexual act itself. It's an aim of our sexual powers. So to engage our sexual powers, to engage in sexual activity, use the sexual faculty voluntarily in a way that's going to thwart the achievement of that which the sexual powers naturally aim at, yes. namely procreation, that constitutes a defective or disordered human act. But because that end of our sexual powers is a human good, yeah. it's a rejection of that which is good for us as a human being and consequently is considered a morally disordered human action. So would one way of saying this, would I be, would this wording trouble you or would this work to say, um, to do things that hurt yourself, that's morally wrong. But I would qualify, what do you mean by hurt? Because if you're restricting hurt only to physical hurt, yeah. then I would say that's inadequate because you can also harm yourself yeah. morally speaking because you can engage in a morally disordered human action and it not entail any sort of physical damage. Oh, fair enough. Okay, right, right. right. But nevertheless, it's still harmful because it's harming the moral character of the individual right. because you're acting against reason which is not befitting of our nature as rational animals and so this actually this is a, a, an appropriate response to the common mantra that you hear in our culture it's okay as long as nobody gets hurt oh right right yeah. you can engage in any sort of sexual activities no as long as nobody gets hurt well that just simply begs the question against the classical natural law theorists and saying, no, this particular activity, same-sex sexual activity, it might not involve any sort of physical hurt or physical damage in any way, right? Right. But it still is harmful in that it goes contrary to our reason and thus harms our moral character. Okay, so uh, same-sex sexual acts, Right. then to use your arrow analogy from before, you know, to fire an arrow and intentionally miss the mark is somehow against the nature of what the archer is supposed to do. Right. Okay. Now, the, the, the problem, the, the analogy with that falls short is because that the archery is, isn't, it's, it's kind of morally it's neutral. It's accidentally, yeah. right? It's morally yeah. neutral and it's also a human construct, right? We determine which target that you oh, need yeah. to be shooting at. Right. Whereas here, we're talking about what nature, what our human nature directs these capacities, namely our sexual capacities to. Okay. So, the, what are the ends then that the same-sex sexual act misses? Do you see what I'm saying? That's right. Is there it's, just one end? That well, it, it, well I, initially, that's a very good question. This yeah. is this is a, a probably a whole other podcast. Oh, but sorry. Initially, I would say it's thwarting the activity away from the due end of procreation. Okay. Okay. Yes. But at the same time, once you understand, Sai, that to engage in such activity is a morally disordered act, 
well, then it necessarily involves a violation of the unitive goal of sexual acts. Right. Because if you engage in an activity that's morally harmful for you and your loved one, the one that you're engaging in sexual activity with, well, then that is not an expression of love. Because rather than willing what is good for the other, you're rejecting what is good for the other and willing what is morally harmful for the other. And that cannot possibly be an act of love. So I would say that same-sex sexual activity initially violates the procreative end, the primary end of the sexual act. But in as much as it does so, it also at the same time undermines the complementary goal of the sexual act, namely union of the spouses, unitive love. Okay. You cannot thwart the procreative end and have union and love at the same time. They go hand in hand. So that means that to desire such things is not a sin, but it's a disorder because if you follow that uh desire, you will end up doing things that that are sinful. That's right. The reason why we say we should not speak of these desires for romantic involvement with members of the same sex as merely different rather than disordered, because it would be a bearing of false witness, right? The reason why we say such desires are disordered yeah. is because they're leading to an action that in and of itself, independent of intention and independent of circumstances, the act in and of itself, namely same-sex sexual activity, is morally disordered, morally harmful for the character of a reasonable creature like ourselves, right? And so notice how the desire is leading us to a disordered human act. And so consequently, it's accurate and truthful to say that the desire itself is disordered. But with qualification, as you stated, side, the desire, right, that a person has right. in and of itself is not morally disordered. It's just simply disordered in that it's leading to a morally disordered act. So there's no sinful, there's no guilt of sin yeah. in the individual for having or becoming aware of the disorder, uh, excuse me, of the desire for same-sex sexual activity, right? They haven't done anything wrong. They haven't done anything wrong in as much as they have the desire. But nevertheless, we still have to acknowledge that the desire is flawed, right? The desire is defective in some way. It's disordered. That's just, we're just using synonyms here, right? Right. Because it's leading to an action that is not befitting of our dignity as human beings within the arena of sex. Now, if an individual indulges in the desire, follows the desire, and engages in same-sex sexual activity, well then, that becomes sinful because you're engaging in a morally disordered act, right? Right. And that's going to constitute moral defect in your moral character. Now, whether that person is fully culpable for this activity or not, only God can judge the subjective dimensions of the human heart, right? Full knowledge, deliberate consent. But we can say, objectively speaking, that same-sex sexual activity in and of itself is contrary to reason. And as a rational being, we ought not to engage in such activity because it would be a violation of our rational nature. And that's basically the essence of sin. It's to willingly engage in in a behavior that lacks the order of reason. 
Yes. And that cannot possibly be good for us as human beings. Is, is there any other, like just as a way of an analogy, because lots of people do think by analogy. Yeah. Uh, I know I am one of them. Is there any other objectively disordered desire you could point to just so that I know I could say, oh, so this is like that? What's right, a, right. Like you said, the, 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 the physician who desires to use his medical skill or her medical skill, uh, we, we don't, I don't want to be sexist when I'm pointing out other people's sins. Um, <laughs> but, right. So the physician who desires to use that skill for harm, that's disordered. Uh, but do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Is there for another example, natural d- desire that we or you know well, like a, I would a, qualify a, the use of the word natural because uh, if a desire is objectively okay. disordered, then it's right. it doesn't belong to the nature of the human being, and so therefore it's not natural. Well, let me propose the 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 desire for intoxication. Right. Would that be? There is a form of disorder. Now, the the desire for the legitimate substance, right? Yeah, that's that's that's, why I'm looking for analogy. That's ordered, but the desire for the overindulgence is disordered. The desire for for a man to desire romantic involvement with a woman is naturally ordered. But if he desires romantic involvement involvement with a woman that's not his wife, ah, that's disordered. Okay. Or desires romantic involvement with a woman contrary to reason, like outside of marriage, that's disordered, right? Uh, but here's something that I think is more uh, close, more cl- closer... Analogy? Yeah, a closer analogy is, for example, there's a disorder where people desire to eat dirt, and oh, okay, that's I, what I'm looking for. I, yeah. I don't know if it's pica. I think it might be pica. I'm going to have to look that up. It's slipping my memory yeah. as what the correct terminology is to describe that psychological disorder. But people apparently have disorder where they desire to eat dirt. Now, that is an objectively disordered desire. Why? Because you be- yeah. Because you're desiring to engage in an act that naturally is ordered to nourishing the body, but this particular action is thwarting yeah. the act away from its natural end of nourishing the body. And probably even harming the body. That's right. Yeah. So so to desire that sort of activity, like if you happen to discover and you wake up tomorrow and I want to eat dirt, I mean, like, you didn't choose that desire, but no. the desire is there, but the desire is objectively disordered because it's leading you to a human action that's objectively disordered and in this case, it would even be morally disordered because it would be a rejection of the good of the human being. Same principle applies for the desire for same-sex sexual activity. The desire is leading to certain actions that are contrary to our human good and thus morally disordered. Right. And so the desire itself must be disordered, you see? Now, in the comparison between those two, you do have the comparison falling short in this sense that many times in same-sex sexual activity, you have no physical harm that you're incurring, whereas right. you may very well harm your body in eating dirt. Although but all some, analogies fall short. That's right. Some, but some uh, will push even ba- back on that, right? Yeah. And say, well, engaging in same-sex sexual activity, the research shows, does cause physical harm. But whatever. If, yeah, yeah. If we yeah. can just put that aside, I don't right. even want to go there. I think we can articulate the disorder of same-sex sexual activity just by moral analysis. Uh, so it's see, I, I, the the conclusion then would be um, the, that um, Father Martin's suggestion that we should change the wording in a particular way that we should not say objectively disordered anymore and we should find another phrase and he offers the example of differently ordered this would uh, not improve uh, the catechism it would detract from it it would because it suggests 
that we speak of things as if they are what they're not. Yeah. It suggests that we speak of desires for romantic involvement with members of the same sex as something okay, yeah. natural, and good, just different from some other good. And that's not the truth, you see? I, so we need to speak about these things in ways that communicate the reality of these things and what's true about these things. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Cy, but I don't see anything needlessly hurtful in living in the truth and inviting people to live in accord with that truth as well. Carla Broussard, thank you very much for thank helping you, us work, work through that. Thanks to everybody who joins us here on Catholic Answers Focus. If you would uh, give us a like where you get yours, maybe you get, you get the podcast at iTunes or the Android store or the uh, Google Play or wherever. If you give us a like, maybe even a comment, that would be very helpful to grow this. Also, become a subscriber and then you'll just get it every week. You can also become a member of Radio Club at CatholicAnswersLive.com. You just put your email address in and we send you notices when the when there's a new focus out and we send you all kinds of other free stuff as well we'd love to have you a member as a member of the radio club thank you again for joining us we'll see you next time god willing on catholic answers focus